0: Welcome friends, I'm Sarah Ann Stewart, and this is the Awesome Inside Out Podcast. Now I'm not sure how you ended up here today, but I want to welcome you with open arms. Because while our paths may be different, I'm going to take a wild guess that we share one common desire, to have a deeply fulfilling, extraordinary life, and we both know that that life starts inside of you. If you want to say goodbye to anxiety, frustration, and negative self-talk, and say hello to peace, mindfulness, gratitude, and living your best life, you've come to the right place. In each episode, we're gonna dive deep into mindset shifts that give you the power to decide how you feel, not the media, not social conditioning, and not your past. Then you'll discover how to use this inspiration and this new sense of confidence to be the best you, the you that you are meant to be. So get ready, it's time to feel incredible from the inside out. Hey there. Thanks so much for tuning in to another interview episode on the awesome Inside Out podcast. If you enjoy this conversation, the absolute best way that you can always support is by sharing it on social media and with the people that you love. Also, you can always support by leaving a review. Leaving a review ensures that other individuals around the world get access to this content. So thank you so much in advance. Also make sure to stay till the end as I'm going to offer some applicable takeaways and a fun challenge this week to upgrade your health. All right, so if you've been following me for a while, then you know I recently started IVF treatments, a decision I never thought I would personally make. And so the idea of injecting myself with hormones, wearing endless patches, taking antibiotics, being put under anesthesia, taking more medication, and going to countless doctor's appointments were never, ever on my infertility to-do list. And so after months of IVF, I developed debilitating periods and was eventually diagnosed with endometriosis. And because my relationship to my period has shifted so much, I have been incredibly inspired to dive deep into understanding the science behind the menstrual cycle. And so today I'm excited to sit down with Dr. Stephanie Estima a doctor of chiropractic with a special interest in metabolism, body composition, functional neurology, and female physiology. She has over 3.5 million article reads on medium.com and has helped thousands of women lose weight, regulate their hormones, and get off medication with her signature program, the Estima Diet. Today, I'm asking Stephanie to share a number of simple steps that you can take today right now to better your health tomorrow. Hi, Dr. Stephanie, thank you so much for making the time to have this beautiful, impactful conversation today. I'm so excited that you are here and I'm excited just to get to know you better.
1: I am so happy that we are having this conversation. I cannot wait to see what comes of it. (laughs) So recently, after going through about 11 months of
0: IVF, um, I personally have developed debilitating periods and was diagnosed with endometriosis. And I've been sharing this a little bit on my podcast, but um, because my relationship to my periods has really shifted so much, I've been so inspired diving into your work and really understanding that there are specific diets that don't work for women and how it's so important to eat in a way that honors a woman's um, menstrual cycle. And so before we dive into all of that amazing science and the background, um, I'd love to start this conversation with why you got into this incredible work and what really brought you to helping thousands of women around the world lose weight, regulate hormones, and really empower them to get off of of so many of their medications.
1: Oh, it's a good place to start. So, I think that the the impetus for writing this book was really birthed out of my own experience, um, just being a woman. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I spent many, you know, decades really um, feeling like my period was a punishment for being a woman. Every month, I was being punished with angry breasts and distended stomachs and poor sleep and moodiness and irritability, and I always. Always just chalked it up to, well, that's just, you know, I'm a woman. This is like kind of what the, you know, part and parcel of it is not recognizing that my symptom like my body was throwing up, you know, flares to, for me to pay attention to her and to start to heal. But you know, we'll, we'll get to that. But I ignored my body for years. I pretended like I was a little man and I would you know do long term fasts and i would do you know ketogenic diet stints for years at a time and then I, I you know i i didn't understand why my you know my neurochemistry was a mess why my periods were a mess and i had um there was sort of this one very um we'll call it highly pressurized uh, couple of years where i was um, I had a clinic that I was practicing out of, uh, you know, absolutely love my clinic, you know, thriving practice. And, uh, there was a fire in the clinic. It burnt down. And at the same time that I had to relocate, like very quickly find a relocation, you know, a location to continue serving my patients. Um, I was also going through a, a very, uh, painful, we'll say divorce, um, with two young children. Now I'm, you know, me and, and, you know, my children's father were, you know, very close and, you know, very good friends now, but at the time it was really, you know, anytime you're going through divorce, it doesn't matter, you know, how mature you are, even if you're Gwyneth Paltrow, you know, it, you know, it's going to be difficult and ugly and messy, um, at some time. So I was under a lot of stress. Um, my body really hurt. Um, and, I went to, you know, this was sort of at the tail end of like a couple, like the clinic had burned down. This divorce was dragging on forever. And I took my kids to um, Italy for a couple of weeks on vacation. And it was really in this um, vacation where I saw the power of how quickly you can actually turn things around. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm you know, on vacation, enjoying myself, sleeping on the beach, having the cappuccinos, having the pasta, like I wasn't following any diet. It was just enjoying the local foods and going, you know, lots of movement, lots of sunshine. And towards the end of this vacation, I got my period. And normally you know, this would be the thing that like that ruined the, you know, ruined the vacation, right? Mm-hmm. It's the, mm-hmm. I would have been holed up in the hotel room with the mask on and the Midol and the, but it didn't, that didn't happen. You know, I had spent the three pre, you know previous weeks walking around and getting, you know, getting my circadian rhythms right with, you know, aligning my habits to the sun and, um, you know, just generally reducing my stress. And I was really curious to come back to my home um, after that vacation and see if I could replicate some of the things that really worked for me in that, in that short stint of time, if I could continue those benefits, because I actually felt really great on my period. There was no heavy bleeding. I didn't bleed through anything. I didn't stain any of my pants, you know, like I, you know, all of that didn't really happen. And, um, If I can do it once, I mean, I know Italy, everything's better in Italy, but like, if you can do, you know, if you can do it once somewhere in the world, you can replicate it in other areas of the world. It wasn't just the external environment, something internally had also shifted. So that was where it really started started. and then i I was I was, you know, I was running a nutrition program in my clinic at the time. And I asked my female uh, patients if they would be open for me to start start manipulating some variables in their diet, because even at that time, there was already, A pattern that was emerging around these differences between male and female outcomes. Mm -hmm. I was running a ketogenic Mm -hmm. diet at the time and my women were saying like, I don't get it. Like I'm eating exactly what you're telling me. You know, my husband is eating exactly what you're telling him. And my husband has dropped 20 pounds and I've dropped one, you know, like what gives? So I started playing around with Um, menstrual cycle and and pairing up the nutrition to match up with where, where the woman was in her menstrual cycle. Um, And that's really where the book was, was born from.
0: Mm, I love that. What was the most profound shift you made when you came back from Italy? Like what were the things that you integrated that really made the most, most profound shifts that are the simplest?
1: Oh, great. Yeah. So a couple of, a couple of really easy things that I think anybody can really start doing like Now, Uh right now, Uh um, is just more general movement. I think one of the things I noticed when I was in Italy is I would wake up and I'd go and walk to the little espresso bar and get my espresso, and then I would, you know, walk back. And then I would go and I'd walk to, you know, when it's time to go for breakfast, we'd go and we'd walk to the place and we'd have our breakfast and then we'd walk back. So there was a lot of, you know, movement snacks, right? So I think when we are in our everyday life, and now we've been, the past year and a half or so living through a pandemic lots of people have been home We, we've been taught, we just talk to our computers all day long, right? Like that's what what we're doing and we're not getting a lot of this general movement. Like you might be doing an exercise class, like maybe you, you know, taking some online classes or you have a home gym or you have a bike or whatever, and you're doing these, let's say 45 minutes of a workout or an hour of a workout, whatever it might be, but then you're sitting for the rest of the day. And while I'm not poo-pooing the exercise, that's really important. Like if you're resistance training, that's important. You're getting your cardiovascular benefits from the cycling or whatever it is. It's also important for you to have low-level activity through the day. And I talk about this in the book of this idea of moving away from being movement specialists, which is what only cycling might look like or only, you know, uh, running or jogging or something might look like, to being a movement generalist, which is walking and gardening and all of these low-level activities in multiple planes of movement that would just stimulate or replicate rather what we have looked like as uh, you know as the human species has always looked like for the past you know tens of thousands of years. And so that's like the number one thing that I, you know, I bought, I invested in a standing desk. I actually, right now I'm talking to you on my, I have a treadmill that is underneath my desk and I don't have it on now because it would, you hear it on the audio yeah. and it would just be annoying. But um, generally when I'm not on a podcast, for example, and I'm working at my desk all day, I'm standing and I'm walking at a low speed. So most days I, I can rack up like 12 to 16,000 steps in a day quite easily you know, walking at one one and a half miles an hour, two miles an hour, or something like that. Um, so that's the number one thing. The other really big thing um is getting outside and really being, uh, this is more of like a circadian biology mm-hmm. sort of mm-hmm. um, strategy, but the, you know, within 30 minutes of waking, being exposed to natural light. And that's not, going to your window and looking outside that's actually getting outside. Um, There's a couple of apps that you, if you want to sort of test this theory out for yourself, um, they measure something called lux, which is basically the measurement of light. And measuring the amount of lux in a room, even if it's sunny, is going to be like orders of magnitude less, like tens to, you know, 50 times less than if you were actually out in natural sunlight. And so this is really, really important because as we get light exposure in that first 30 minutes of the day, it starts to send a signal to all of the cells in our body to start to rev up and to give us energy. And it helps with this sort of circadian, which is just a fancy word for daily, you know, uh, the circadian rhythm that we all kind of operate on Mm a some of us, you know, men in general, they work very closely on a 24-hour cycle. Women also work on a 24-hour cycle, but we also have longer cycles. We have 28 and 29-day cycles that we're going to talk about today in terms of our menstrual cycle. So those are like the two easiest things. They, and they, you know, don't really, you know, don't really cost that much. Like anybody, you know, you just need a pair of shoes to go for a walk and you just need to leave your apartment or your home, you know, to get some light in the morning.
0: Yeah, I love that. I think it's so important for us to get curious and start to question the unnatural ways in which we are living and just the advancements um, to our lives that we believe are benefiting us but are actually potentially hurting us. For example, so many of us right, stay up Late and watch Netflix with the bright blue light shining in our eyes, but then we use blackout shades to keep that natural sun from shining in in the morning. And so we're exposed to all of these unnatural elements all the time, um, and they're impacting our natural rhythms. Um, my husband has has also recently been getting really curious about what life would look like without technology and even wondering what it would be like during the hunter-gatherer times and how we relate to the sun and the stars and the moon and light nature all of the things and so i i absolutely love that thank you for sharing um i would love to dive deeper into and kind of switch gears and talk about how you're empowering women to celebrate their periods every month and so i'm curious if that begins with a mindset shift um, because i think most individuals who have their periods potentially a lot of them dread, dread that time of the month. And so how do you do the work with your clients to really empower them to embrace this time of the month? And even if they can't necessarily enjoy it fully, what is a mindset shift that they can take on to, to just think about and relate to, to their cycles differently?
1: So I love this question, and it's a complex question, but I'm going to try to answer it, um, you know, as intelligently as I can. I think that when it comes to our cycles, first we have to understand that as women, um, we have grown up in very much a patriarchal society that values and honors, you know, m- men in general, but more masculine esque. And I, when I say masculine energy, you know, I'm not referring to a gender. I'm just talking about, you know, this idea of like production and achievement and accolades and success and letters behind your name and, you know, careers and degrees and all of that. So we really do place a value on, you know, having the house and having the car and having the clothes and having the, you know, the makeup and the, you know, whatever, and the bags and the this and the that. And we have not really been taught about the female Side of things, or the divine feminine, or the softer side of things, often emotions are poo pooed on, right? They're they're seen as a sign of weakness. We are taught to be stoic, right? Like there's, you know, I'm not, I'm not, you know, again, not poo pooing on stoicism because I think that it's an important way to relate to the world when we're thinking about you know deductive reasoning and decision making, but when a a man or a woman has an emotional response and they're told that that's weakness, what do we tend to do? We tend not to express ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. We tend to shove it back down in our bodies and our bodies have to do something with that energy or that energetic charge. So I think the first thing is really recognizing that we've all grown up in this patriarchal society that does that devalues women and has devalued women over millennia. I think the second piece to it is that as women Even if you, you know, had the, you know, unfortunate torture of having sex ed in high school, you know, all you learned was how to put a, you know, a condom on a banana. Like, you know, there was never, you know, we're not really taught About our cycles, we're not taught about our fertility, you know, and if you're of a certain, you know, and a lot of religion will actually teach women that if you have sex, for example, before you're married, this is this is something that's not desirable. You know, if you have a baby that's out of wedlock, this is not desirable. Uh, You know, there's lots of names for women who do that. Uh, that are all usually disgusting words that describe female anatomy, um, which are either perpetrated through religious means or, or otherwise means. So we're often taught to fear our fertility, but we actually have no idea how our own fertility works. So there's a lot of guilt and shame mm-hmm. around our, our cycles. And when you actually shift that mindset to say, okay, I'm not a little man, right? Like, I, you know, I'm not... A testosterone dominant human, I'm an estrogen dominant human, I have this, I have this cycle every month that has the ability, if I choose to work it, create life, this hormonal landscape, this ever changing hormonal milieu is actually my superpower. And it can actually inform my decisions around nutrition, how I'm going to exercise today. If I am having emotional upheaval. If something is coming up for me, for me to understand that this is my body's way of telling me that something is not right and something needs to change for the next cycle. Every time that you, you know, and I'll, I'll I'll highlight a a particular uh, place in our cycle, which is usually the three, three to four days before we start bleeding, like that, you know, uh, pre-period time. A lot of women, many women, will experience you know, this sort of aggregate of symptoms that are often called premenstrual syndrome. So things like, you know, I described a couple of them before, like really tender breasts, you know, you could be irritable or moody, your sleep could be um, disturbed. And often what I've heard women say to me is, and I've experienced this myself, where, you know, in that, you know, three or four days, right before you get your period, like, Your boyfriend's bothering you, your husband's pissing you off, you know, your kids can't do anything right. You can't even have, you can't even choose the right nail color. Like everything is wrong. And what I would like to offer um, for the women who have been really who've been dismissive, it's like, oh, it's just my period's coming. Like I'm just, you know, this is where I turn crazy or whatever. I would like to offer that this is actually what's called a negativity bias where your body is trying to show you all the things that are not working in the way that they should, um, in your life and that it's time for you to examine them, feel your feelings around them, cry around them, grieve around them, and then figure out how you're going to change it for the next cycle, right? Um, So that, I mean, that's, that would be a one piece uh, or one example of how we can really use our menstrual cycle for, you know, making decisions. Like if Mm -hmm. something's coming up for you every month, uh, right before your period, like, oh my gosh, my boss, oh my gosh, my career. Oh, like maybe it's the career that's the problem. Maybe there's nothing wrong with you. Maybe this is your body saying this job is sucking my soul and maybe we need to think about either you know a, a horizontal move where we're moving to a different company because there's a better dynamic or a better boss or better whatever, or there's a complete shift entirely In terms of your career path. Because if it keeps coming up, I I promise you, Pinky, promise, Pinky swearsies that it's going to continue to come up for you because your body is often far more wise Uh than you. Like you are, listen, like we are the, you know, our brains are absolutely a creation of magic, but your body is infinitely more wise than your brain and the algorithms that you can ever run in that brain. So, have you know i would i would invite you if it's attractive to you in any way to lean into those feelings and to try to understand why they're coming up
0: mm-hmm. i love that it, i always remind myself that if if the pain continues to repeat itself then it hasn't been healed yet and so it feels energetically like that that time before we menstruate is this lens into a, a deeper level of awareness or even consciousness that's coming forward in order to teach such valuable lessons and i love that mindset shift because then we can look at it with inquiry and curiosity versus frustration and and pain and really simply just shift that that belief around those days and and our period that it that that is coming um, i'm curious in terms of changing aspects of our lifestyle and also food choices in order to support a, I, I would assume this would be like a more balanced period that's in flow and a bit more graceful. Can you offer suggestions around that and and what that would look like in terms of the work that you're doing to, to support women in in the time before, before the men, uh, menstrual cycle?
1: Sure. Yeah. So I think when we think about improving outcomes for women specifically, one of the goals that we want to always keep top of mind is reducing inflammation. Mm-hmm. And this, you know, inflammation is sort of this umbrella term that encapsulates, you know, the tender breasts and the, you know, the distension in the stomach and the po- the slowed bowel movements and, you know, the irritability and the sleeplessness. So what we when we're thinking about reducing inflammation, so the week before your bleed week tends to be the time when we if we are going to become inflamed, this is the, this is the time. Um, you know, this is where we may see, you know, your rings may not fit on your fingers the way that they, you know, have, in, you know, earlier or other times in the month, or you may feel like wearing tight tops, you know, over your chest is going to be difficult because you're, you know, maybe the areola or the nipple itself is very tender, or maybe the, you might notice if you, palpate through the breast tissue that it's kind of lumpy and bumpy and there's like tender parts in there. So what we want to be thinking about all through your menstrual cycle. So not, I mean, we're going to talk specifically about the week right before your period, but as an overarching theme, we want to be consuming foods that are going to reduce inflammation and you know, we can do that from a variety of different verticals when we think about structuring a diet program. Uh, the number one thing I would offer is I think that when we are consuming, plant foods that um, have been shown to improve, for example, estrogen detoxification. And I'm specifically talking about green leafy vegetables here. So the brassica family in particular, I talk about this family a lot in my book, The Betty Body. Um, But when we are consuming green leafy vegetables, we're getting the polyphenols, we're getting the phytonutrients, but we're also getting some of these compounds called sulforaphanes and and other compounds that are going to facilitate estrogen detoxification, like you mentioned, uh, this endometriosis and a lot of when we look at adenomyosis, endometriosis, fibrocystic breasts, fibroids, um, a, a whole you know um, a plethora of, of mm-hmm. um, symptoms. Usually, what it is indicating is that there is an excess of estrogen relative to progesterone in the second half of the cycle. That's a big mouthful. But basically, when you consume these green leafy vegetables, you are going to improve your liver's ability to take estrogen, because one of the main functions of the liver, other than producing glucose, is to detoxify uh, toxicants, toxins, uh, and, and to get rid of hormones that are no longer needed. So the bok choy and the kale and the Swiss chard and the broccoli and the cauliflower and, you know, the gosh, like the arugula, the spinach, all these things, they are going to help improve your liver's ability. They will amplify your liver's ability to inactivate and get rid of um, estrogen that doesn't need to be there. And so that would be one of the, you know, when we're thinking about how can we reduce inflammation? And this has been, there's so much literature to support this um, that it's just something that you can't, you can't ignore. Like plants, I mean, of course we can, we can start to go down different rabbit holes around oxalates and like some people are, you know, more sensitive than others and, you know, gut dysbiosis and leaky gut and all of that. But in general, the more green leafy vegetables that you consume, when we look in the literature, this is, we see that this is related to a strong corollary to an increase in lifespan, but also mm-hmm. in health span, which is of the years that you live, how many of them are healthy. So green leafy vegetables, number one. Um, number two, uh, when we're thinking about reducing inflammation, one of the big, you know, um, places where there can be inflammation is in the gut and in the microbiome. So, you know, the green, the, the brassica family really, you know, has a usually has a high insoluble fiber content, which is great. But we also want to be consuming prebiotics or another word for that is resistant starches, um, which is just kind of a, you know, it's, it sort of sounds like what it does, like they resist, these these are starches that resist digestion. So you don't actually break them down. They don't count towards your carb content uh, of the day. But what they do is they feed the microbiome, the the particularly in the large uh, intestine, the microbiome in the large intestine. And that is going to throw, it's going to produce something called butyrate, which is um, uh, a short chain fatty acid that's going to help to help to heal the gut wall. So if you have, you know, any sort of leaky gut uh, type of symptoms, uh, it's going to help with that. It's going to help with your sleep, which is super important for my ladies, like the last two weeks of your period, like your menstrual cycle, Mm -hmm. you know, we all often will report like, I feel hot, I can't sleep, I can't. So it's going to help with your sleep. And it's, you know, if you're trying to do a relative, like a moderate or carb appropriate Diet, like a paleolithic or a ketogenic style diet, this is also going to amplify this uh, what what's called lipolytic activity, which is again like a big fancy you know word for breaking down of adipose tissue or fat. Mm. Yeah,
0: yeah. Can you share a little bit about why the traditional keto diet doesn't necessarily work for women? I know you talk a little bit about that in your program, so I just think that's so interesting.
1: Oh yeah, I think that this is this is actually one of the big, you know, um sort of points of the book is that, you know, women can't do keto just like we can't do fasting and we can't exercise like the guys do. We can't be eating the same thing all mm-hmm. through the month. So, I really like to take more of a cyclical keto approach and even before we even get to you know, cycling keto with your menstrual cycle, I will also just say that, you know, a lot of keto is done in you know, kind of what's called dirty keto. It's sort of like a you know, uh, popular where it's just like, you know, bacon, butter, burgers, and repeat, right? Like as long as it fits your macros, like you can have tubs of sour cream and, you know, pork rinds uh, and beef jerky until the cows come home, right? And that doesn't really work well for women. And I have done that keto diet. I've had hundreds of patients when I was in my earlier days Um, you know, implementing a ketogenic diet, like women did not like it over the long term. Like there was a point where we would do maybe a month or two months like that. And they got really outstanding results in terms of weight loss, in terms of sleep, in terms of improving all their symptoms. And then if you kept them on that keto diet for like longer than three months is when we started to see women saying, you know what, like I'm, the weight's kind of like, I'm either at a plateau or it's starting to creep back up. My sleep is not as wonderful as it as it um, you know used to be in the in the earlier months that I was doing this, and when I was still naive, I was like, "Well, we just gotta do it harder. We just gotta you know double down on the keto," and that was the wrong answer. Um, what I have come to understand now, after running thousands of women through this is that cycling your keto to match with your menstrual cycle is one of the most powerful things that you can do. And what I mean by cycling your keto is that you're not always in ketosis, nor should you be as a woman. So there are times in your cycle, uh, your bleed week, uh, I talk about this in the book, like your bleed week is a really great time to try Uh, keto, if you've never tried it before, or even try fasting, if you've never tried any type of fasting before. Um, And then I like to return to it again in about week three. So after you've ovulated, um, we return you back to a ketogenic diet. um, Because we see estrogen sort of right after ovulation or, you know, just ahead of it sort of tanks and then it kind of comes back up again. So there's a couple of great reasons why keto is really great in that week as well. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And then in those other weeks, weeks two and four, um, we play around with increasing protein and carbohydrates. And I know that that can be really scary because we've been really taught that Mm -hmm. carbohydrates are the enemy and they cause weight gain. And there's this carbohydrate insulin model of obesity and, um, And I think that there's some merit to that model, of course, but I think that we also really need to understand that when we are strategic about our carbohydrates, so when we pair them with proteins, when we pair them with proteins and fats, uh, when we time, you know, when we have our carbohydrates in the day, this is going to support a number of essential functions in the body, like our thyroid. You know, this is when we think about, you know, diseases that affect women, you know, Hashimoto's thyroiditis uh, affects women at a far higher rate than it does men. And oftentimes this hypothyroid, we actually see women who have been, uh, or we even see women who have this like hypothalamic amenorrhea where they they've been carbohydrate and calorically restricting so aggressively for so long that they've lost their periods. So we want to be, you know, careful. We don't want to mm-hmm. be just like, you know, Cookies and chips and crackers for everyone. Like we don't want to go crazy, but we want to be strategic about how we intake, how we take our carbohydrates, how we pair them with other macronutrients. Um, But carbohydrates are absolutely an essential uh, part of the conversation and should not be eliminated forever. And the other point, the last point I'll make around carbohydrates is that if you want to build muscle, and as a woman, this should be of utmost utmost importance to you, you absolutely need carbohydrates to build muscle. You need protein, which, you know, maybe we'll talk to on, you know, with today, we'll talk about how protein drives muscle protein synthesis and how that improves body composition, but you can amplify that with carbohydrates, you know, and there's a reason why, and I used to compete in... um, Figure so I was sort of part of the bodybuilding world for several years. Like bodybuilders eat carbs, right? Like they eat they eat proteins and they eat carbs, but it's the way that they pair their carbs. Like they don't have naked carbs. Like they'll never have, you know, just like an apple. They mm-hmm. might have an apple with nut butter, right? Like so you're pairing some protein and fat with it. Um, and I think that this is once we sort of empower women to understand their cycle and then how they can. Um, play with their nutrition inside their cycle. I mean, this is when you get like in- in- incredible results with, you know, focus and clarity. And if, you know, adipose tissue, like changing your body composition, if you you want to lose weight or you want to put on muscle, this is where we start to see like just the best results. And it doesn't feel painful or restrictive or punitive at all.
0: Yeah. I wanted to dive into that point specifically. On how you help incorporate intuitive eating into your work um, with your clients, so that there isn't that element of deprivation and restriction, and integrating instead more of that empowerment and the ability to make the choices that are that are best for them. Um, I'm assuming that's a lot of mindset work, but is that also an element of you know intuitively choosing what foods feel best for their bodies while also following a um, a plan that's based on the cycling.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, a lot of it is based on your, you know, your ancient, I would call this like ancient wisdom and being attuned with your body's natural rhythms. So for example, uh, we can continue using the keto, you know, keto diet example. If you were just trying to stay keto because you thought that that was the best thing for you to do, and you tried to eat keto all the way through your cycle, you know, forever you know, many weeks out of that month, you are going to find it incredibly hard, in particular the week before you bleed. So one of the things that we know about the, the female metabolism in the fourth week, so in the week right before she gets her period, is that it in, it increases, right? Your body is trying to create, it's creating a new organ, essentially. It's, it's thickening up this uterine lining, this endometrial lining. Um, hopefully, to receive a fertilized egg, right? So whether or not you want the baby, separate story, but that's what your body's doing every single month. So if you try to just white knuckle it and continue to do the keto and not increase your calories and not do what feels good for you in that week, I promise you, you will fall off the wagon. Um, And I did that for several years. Like I would you know, when I was bodybuilding, like, you know, very stereotypically, like I'd prepare all my meals and I'd put them in a, you know, Tupperware and I'd kind of carry them around with me to all my appointments and stuff. Um, and intuitively, when you understand where you are in your cycle, you can better respond to your nutrient demands. And that's what I mean by intuitive eating. So for example, in that fourth week, you should be consuming more calories, all calories. You should be having more fat, more protein, more carbs, because your body actually requires it. You're creating that new organ. Um, and I usually will say somewhere between 10 and 20% increase in your calories is, is sufficient. Like most people will quell their cravings um, uh, in that way. And then there's other points in the cycle where I actually think that you know if you know where you are, having more protein, you know, a higher protein content is really important. So case in point, that pre ovulatory week, so that week two of your cycle, that's when you've stopped your bleed, you know, you're, uh, you, what we see hormonally is testosterone rising, estrogen rising, and these are both growth hormones. And as I said before, you can, you know, you can build muscle in the gym, but you can also build them. You can also build your muscles in the kitchen. Yeah. So increasing your protein in that week where testosterone is rising and estrogen is rising is a great idea. Mm. And you'll probably find if you just naturally track your food, you know, uh, over the course of a month, you'll probably notice that you want more protein that week anyway. Um, And that's what I mean by intuitive eating. It's responding appropriately to your physiology um, and honoring your emotions as well. Because so many of us, we feel like, I don't know what, like women, we blame ourselves, right? We say, gosh, I couldn't stay on that keto diet. So, something must be wrong with me. You know, yep. there's something that yep. I must not be doing. Maybe I don't have enough willpower, right? And that's completely wrong. It's that you're fiz- you are just not a man, right? Like men can stay on <laughs> keto forever. Um, and they do actually very well. Mm-hmm. Um, but for women, we're not little men. We need to honor our own natural rhythms and cycles and you know, when you are in your reproductive years, one of those really big cycles is your menstrual cycle. It is your sex cycle. So understanding when hormones are high and when they're like, you don't need to have a PhD in it. Just like under like week two testosterone, more protein, right? Week four, I get to eat more stuff because that's just what my body needs. Um, and then you get to cut those energetic, you know, cords, right around guilt, because then Absolutely. you're not Right. Then you're not like, God, why am I eating so much? Like I remember there's a couple months back now. I was training. I was, you know, doing something in the gym. And I um I was like, God, like I'm just gassed today. Like I just don't have it in me. Like, I wonder what's going on. And I went into my uh, like my period tracking app, like my menstrual cycle app. And I was on day 27 of my cycle. And I was like, Oh, that's why I'm a right, I'm a I'm about to get my period. And if I didn't have that intel into my cycle, or I didn't know, you know, where I was, I might have walked away from that session going, what's wrong with me? Like I had planned to do a leg workout today and I can't do it. I just no energy, like, God, what's wrong with me? Like I have, I'll never be able to like, you know, and then you get like the inner critic that just like takes off, right? this like hostile cross-examining lawyer, right? (laughs) That, That everyone lives with in their minds. But I was able to say, oh, yeah, it's like I'm about to get my period. I'm just going to take it a little easier today, and, and I'm good.
0: Yeah, I, I love that. And I think that is so important for listeners to hear because even even when my cycles were completely off and not every 28 days, I, I began to intuitively understand that my hormones are whacked. So if my hormones are whacked and I don't have this cyclical perfect 28 days to 35 days, there are going to be days where i'm just not understanding what's happening in my body and i have to give myself that grace and understanding and now you know as diving into your work and understanding this a little bit further i have been able to to really understand okay my period's coming and it's really important for me to just give myself some grace and compassion. Um, and it's so important. And, And I do believe like you said that if we were to track what we intuitively desire versus what the science shows, they would be very much parallel. Very much so. Yeah. So I love that. And I would love to discuss, um, Morning routines, because you talk a lot about how how there's so much importance in morning routines, um, specifically in honoring our unique biology and um, empowering ourselves to just feel feel sexy and beautiful. So, I'd love to dive into that a little bit. Um, Absolutely, as
1: well. yeah. I so first I start off in the book. You know, this I believe it was chapter. You know, it was morning routines. I believe was chapter six. Uh, if I'm if I'm not correct and. I basically started off by saying morning routines are sexist. <laughs> that was my that was my thesis for that <laughs> chapter, and the reason why I started off so boldly was because when you look at the people who talk about morning routines, mm-hmm. right, it's the people who are saying, "Hey, you should get up at." four in the morning, five in the morning, you know, and you need to, you know, journal for an hour and then work out for an hour. And then you need to, I don't know, do some special ceremony and, you know, whatever. And when you look at who's talking about these things, who is it? It's men, right? It's like the guys that are like, uh, hey, you know what? Like I the kids are being like they're either sleeping or like my wife is taking care of them and then I get to I get this, you know, opportunity to spend 2 hours in my morning routine or 3 hours in my morning routine. And for me, you know, in the beginning I was like, "Oh wow, that's such a great idea. I'm going to do that too." Again, forgetting, I'm not a man. I'm not a little man. I'm actually a woman. And when I had my children, when my children were younger, so now my children are 10 and eight, but you know, at the time when they were like little toddlers and like, I had, you know, uh, I had two at one point, like it was, I had two of them under two years old and my morning routine was, I didn't have one. Like it, it was, I was sleeping until my kids woke me up. Like I was either co-sleeping with them or, you know, whatever it was. And, or, or and you know, when the, my kids were older, like when they were kind of like three, four five, like they would just kind of like you know, toddle into my room, right? That, that was my morning routine. And again, I think that there's a tendency for women to, you know, we get really inspired because we want to live our best lives. And that's a really wonderful uh, premise to start with. But when we only look at guys who are probably, you know, someone else is probably taking care of the children while they're able to, and listen, if you're a woman and you have, you know, care and someone can watch the children while you, you know, while you have this morning routine, like all the power to you, but most women are the primary caregivers in their home, right? So they're taking care of the babies. They're usually doing, uh, all the things related to more so than, than the male, uh, than their male counterparts. So, um, my morning routine has evolved over time and at some point I just it was just like hard eye roll right like I would just see um you know these gurus talking about like morning routine and that's how you do it and it's uh, it's like you know what like I'm just going to get it done my way so it would be I would wake up with my kids and then maybe you know I'd take in for their morning nap like maybe that's when I would go for a walk around the neighborhood or maybe that's when I would sleep and catch up on some sleep and I think that for women adopting a mentality of flexibility because if you are someone who has children you know that their needs change over time so now my kids are a little older i can get a more i can get a workout in pretty much every morning right because they often will come down and work out with me and then we'll go for a walk together and stuff they sleep through the night now they have their own circadian rhythm that's been more established but if you're a woman who's listening to this and you have young children or for whatever reason, you know, your sleep is disrupted overnight or you're not able to get a good night's sleep. Like don't kill yourself to wake up at three or four or five in the morning. Like that's just insane. And I think you need to, I I would love for women to move towards forgiveness around Mm. this idea that like, Mm. I can't do it all. And that's okay. Like I can't wake up at three and then go to bed at 11 and do that for the rest of my life. And you know, I mean, even just from a physio, like women actually have longer sleep cycles than men. Like we, on average, like 15 to 45 minutes longer. Mm-hmm. So if you're waking up early, you're cutting the absolute and relative amount of sleep um, that you should be getting every night. So yeah, I, I, if, around morning routines, like my my best advice is like structure what works for you and know that it's going to change over time as your children get older. And it's okay. That's okay. You can, it doesn't have to be one you know, two hour, it can be, you know, sprinkled through the day really nice and easy. And that's kind of the whole point. I I hope that the book is a way for women to say, like for women to realize that health doesn't actually need to be Painful. Like it yes. doesn't need to be so punitive and so restrictive. Mm-hmm. Um, that it can actually you can actually feel joy in your body. You can feel great. And you know, maybe the best thing that you need to do for your morning routine is sleep in. Like maybe that's the best, you know, morning routine that you can give yourself, which is the gift of sleep. Sleep.
0: Yes. I love that. And I think it's so important to as you've reflected, just to let go of this comparison, just because the expert you're following online does X, Y, Z in the morning does not n- mean that you have to do it or you're a bad mom or you're a bad entrepreneur or you're a bad CEO or you're a bad but whatever it is, right? It's, it's, it's just so interesting that we hold these stories in comparison and then we judge ourselves because we... Um, it's just a comparison game and, and no one's living in our bodies, no one's living in our life. And it's really up to us to, to, like you said, to really connect with what feels true and honest for ourselves. Um, I'm curious, you know, given that you've worked with thousands of thousands of women at this point, um, what have you seen that is like the most important internal shift Like the story that they're carrying, um, that needs that needs to take place in order for them to to step into a healthier, happier life. Is there one belief system or something that you just see over and over and over again in your practice?
1: Yeah, I think that there's a couple of related themes. So often women, and I've uh, said a couple of them today, like a lot of times we jump right to blame and we usually blame ourselves. There's something that we have done wrong versus the patriarchal society and rigid systems that we've tried to fit ourselves into aren't working for us. So the first thing is, you know, the, this Opening or this curiosity to use a word that you said, which I really love. This curiosity towards is it is it me or is it actually what I you know the is it overly restricted for what um what is good for me? So that's the first thing. In terms of mindset, there's a couple of common patterns that I see with women. So we tend to blame ourselves. That's one. Um, we often will um, we we don't feel like we're worthy of investing in just for the sake of investing in ourselves. So we will often say, I'm going to do this program because it's going to make me a better, better mother, or I'm going to be a better, you know, better mom to my kids or better wife to my husband, or I'll be, and it's like, all those are great, but I would love for you to invest in this program because you think that you're worthy of investing in, even if it doesn't make you a better mother and it doesn't make you a better wife, but that, I mean, it, it often does those things, but if those things weren't like that's not the core reason I would want someone to invest in themselves. I would want them Mm. to begin to say, Hey, you know what? I am taking up space on this planet and I am worthy of investing in because I am here point. There's no, not because it will make me. Um, and like I said, if you want to do it, it's probably going to make you a better mother and a better partner and a better friend and a better daughter and all those things. But I would love for us to to move away from this caregiver mentality where we're only doing it so that we can serve someone else. Like I want you to serve yourself. <laughs> so that's that's another thing is is really understanding our worth and that we are worthy of investing in. And then I think um kind of related to the uh blaming ourselves, a lot of the narrative that I hear with women is like, "Oh, I always start something and I never finish it. You know, I I'm I'm not able to follow through on it." And we really you know the that voice in our heads you know I, I sort of talk about this idea of you know allies like you know the the people who we've had in our lives that lift us up mm-hmm. and people in our lives who have these adversaries people who have brought us down or were scared of our light or you know had a fear response or an anger response or had some story that they had inherited and then passed it on to us So when we think about you know your allies and your adversaries we often inherit, the adversaries much easier than we do the allies. So, you know, we all, you know, hopefully you've all, you know, someone, you know, the, the, your listeners, they have had someone who really believed in them, you know, who saw their light, who saw their beauty, who saw their intelligence, their patience, their curiosity. Um, But the sad reality is so many of us have had like adversarial messages, right? Like women act like this, women, women are not loud. Women are, you know, we're, we're, um, you know, we're supposed to look like this. We're supposed to act like this. And we typically inherit these stories around what it means to be a mother from, I call them the fab four, right? It's like your mother's fathers, teachers, preachers, and of course, like community members and friends and stuff. But we inherit a lot of our stories from our primary caregivers. And I think that if we are going to, um, really empower ourselves and set ourselves free, we have to understand that these stories have in in some way enslaved us, but that we also have the key to let ourselves out of jail, right? Like we have the key to let ourselves out. You know, it's just a matter of understanding who we are, what we want, and um and then shedding some of these stories that don't mm-hmm. th- that don't serve us.
0: Mm-hmm. I absolutely love that. It's so, so important. and becoming aware of just, where those that, that those stories aren't ours, and we're choosing to allow them to continue to impact us, but but at any tr- any moment we have the choice to let them go. And um, I I think it it's so relatable. And if, for so much of my life, I was just living by living my life, and it was impacting my health based on all of the cultural, media, societal conditioning that I had basically um, taken on. Throughout my life, So I love that one. Thank you so, so much. Um, for the listeners who want to read your book and learn more about your programs and dive more into this work, can you share a little bit about the best places for them to find you? Because I want to make sure that they have access to all of those links.
1: Absolutely. So the book is called The Betty Body, A Geeky Goddess's Guide to Intuitive Eating, Balanced Hormones and Transformative Sex. So we didn't get to talk about the sex today, but that's also a big part of the book as well <laughs> how we can use sex and orgasms for our own enlightenment and using our womb as this sort of alchemical power to transmute, uh, pain into power. So, um, it's called the Betty body. You can find it anywhere. So, uh, Barnes and Noble, and you can find it at Amazon, like any online retailer it's there, Goodreads, all that. Um, so that would be a really great place to start. Um, I have programming that I run. Um, it's, um, Almost a week. It's really weekly, but it's um, it's a membership where we uh, have. I call it the sisterhood. So it's called Hello Betty, and um, we basically talk about all things like all the conversations you ever wanted to have with your mom, with your aunt, with your girlfriends, but you never did. So we talk about sex. We talk about orgasms. I just did a training on the pelvic floor. Uh, So many women uh, we'll say, Oh gosh, like I don't even like, I can't jump anymore. I can't go, you know, I can't run. And it's like, okay, we're going to talk about the pelvic floor. Um, so we'll talk about, um, the divine feminine. We'll talk about fitness and nutrition and I'm always putting in recipes and hormone healing protocols and stuff. So if you want to find out more about that, you can check us out at hello Betty club. Um, and then, you know, two other places, um, where you can find me. I have a podcast. It's called better with Dr. Stephanie. So where you're listening to this pod, you can find, um, my podcast and we talk to female leaders, male. I just talked to thought leaders in a, in a multitude of different, um, fields of focus around what are some of the things that we can do, you know, today that will help us get better tomorrow. And last place is the gram. You can find me on Instagram, Uh, pretty active on there. So um, at Dr. Stephanie Estima is my handle. Amazing.
0: Thank you so much for being here. I love this conversation. I learned so much. I was like taking notes while you were talking.
1: I love it. I (laughs) love it.
0: And just like, I want to dive into that part of the book. I want to dive into that part of the book. Um, Yeah. Thank you so much for being here. I I trust that the listeners are going to get so much value from this conversation and just really grateful for your time.
1: Thank you. Well, this was a delight for me. Thank you for having me on. And I hope that, um, you know, your your listeners enjoyed this.
0: Wow. What an amazing conversation. I loved chatting with Stephanie, especially about how self-care needs to be personalized and should actually reflect who you are and where you are in your life. And so after our conversation, I encourage you to do a short audit of your own self-care routine and what you're doing to integrate self-care in your life. As with everything, it is so important to manage your expectations. Sometimes what prevents us from starting or following through with these new daily habits of self-care is that feeling of overwhelm. So if you're trying to follow someone else's morning routine, like Stephanie shared, it can actually make you more exhausted or more stressed or more overwhelmed. And so it's important as always, as I share many times on this podcast, to listen to your body. Some days it might be asking you, as she shared, to choose sleep over an intense exercise class in the morning. And so these healthy habits and the being flexible with these habits takes time to build But don't forget that the most important piece in all of this, again, is to listen to your own body, listen to your intuition, and trust that the wisdom of your body knows what is best for you. Personally, an exercise that has worked really well for my routine is to take a few moments before the end of my day to identify times in my schedule the next day that I can commit to self-care. It can be as small as a five-minute meditation or a 10-minute walk outside while I um, am in between sessions. And so the most important step as you evaluate your self-care routine is to pick these small acts to just get started. Trust that once you start a new habit, you'll immediately feel better and more motivated to continue. And so this week, I encourage you to focus on one thing only and start the process Knowing and trusting that this initial momentum is always the hardest, but once you get it started again, you're going to help really cultivate and sustain these habits. And so again, as we talked about on the podcast, if you're spinning your wheels in guilt and shame about maybe your lack of self-care, practice self-compassion and self-forgiveness. Let yourself off the hook and give yourself permission to start over no matter how many times it takes. I also urge you to keep track of how you feel daily by integrating a checklist into your life. If you are a visual learner, checking off boxes on your self-care list might provide that feeling of instant gratification, which can be helpful considering how many healthy habits don't yield immediate visible results. And using a tracker or a checklist over the course of a few days, weeks, and months will also help you start noticing certain patterns. Maybe there's a particular day that is especially stressful or busy where you tend to fall off on your self-care practices. Maybe there's a cycle that occurs based on your career, your family, or a multitude of other factors. By becoming aware of these patterns, you can then eliminate any obstacles that deter you from finding a consistent, long-term self-care routine. Further, this week, I invite you, if you haven't yet, to join the awesome Inside Out Facebook group. It's a private, safe space filled with beautiful hearts coming together to encourage and uplift one another. And for everyone who is already part of that group, thank you so much for helping us build such a beautiful community together. If you enjoyed today's conversation, I recommend listening to my recent episode with Biet Simkin on the power of meditation and how you can step in to your highest, happiest self. Further, drop me a message on Instagram if you've been listening to this podcast and let me know what's been resonating. What do you want to hear more about and how can I support you in becoming happier and healthier? You can find me on Instagram, always at Sarah Ann Stewart. And until next week, I'm sending you so much love. And I trust that you will have a beautiful, incredible week ahead. All right, that concludes this podcast. It is my honor to always share with you. But hang tight because I have one last thought. You are here right now because you are ready. Because while many of us share the feeling of wanting more, not everyone is going to do what it takes to get it. But you are here. You are ready. So this is your opportunity now to take what you just learned and implement it. Make a pact with yourself to put just one thing into action, just one. Write it down, do it, and share it with me. And if you benefit from it, it would mean the world to me if you could please spread this movement and share it with one person who you know would also benefit. We are all in this together, so thank you for being here and part of this movement.